1: Well, we're back for a second episode. We made it this far. Yes. Both sets of our parents said they loved it. It
0: was <laughs> yeah. absolutely right. So, by popular demand, episode two.
1: Here we are. And this week, we're going to have a bit of a chat about CBI, 28 billion, Dragon's Den. There's some really interesting stuff to kind of um, get into. Probably the biggest business political news of the week was the fact that the CBI have settled with the former director general, Tony Danker. Uh, we're not going to get into all, all of that but I do think there's an interesting question about what the CBI is for now and what will it be for under a Labour government potentially later in the year
0: yeah it's it's a really interesting question and you and you're right we should we should absolutely just jump over the legal minefield of various law, lawsuits <laughs> that are hanging over the CBI and around I mean what, what a mess that all was so we don't need to sort of pick over over the demise of the CBI but we should have a a bit of a conversation about its kind of re-emergence mm-hmm. um and i think some businesses that, that 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 ran away from it um last year have come back into the fold and i think government is starting to take their calls again yeah. um which you know uh it, it, which is important because the the membership of the cbi needs that kind of public voice and private engagement uh, on its behalf um but it, but it does raise the question about w- w- what is the CBI going to do now that it's sort of being allowed back into the party. Um, and it's, it's it, it, I think it's a really important topic because the membership of the CBI uh, is... They like to talk a lot about how they have businesses of all sizes and sectors, and that's fine, and and it's you know it's true. But but basically, what I think most people think of them as is, is the voice of large business, yeah. And um and that's a really really important constituency in our national debate, in our economy, and I don't think they should shy away from that. And yes. it feels like the CBI, you know, they're sort of behaving like a think tank. You know, all they want to do is talk about green economy this and you know green prosperity that and, and there's you know, there are enough voices on that topic and uh actually I think someone should just be more robust and confident in in representing the very kind of real and important interests of the biggest employers the biggest whether they are manufacturers financial services groups um etc you can't just you know pretend that you're just the voice of you know sort of entrepreneurship and medium-sized businesses because a there are there are groups who who really are the voice of those entities um and b as i said big business deserves to have somebody with some confidence and some swagger and some clout
1: representing its interests completely and i saw that that they claimed they used to claim they spoke for 190 000 businesses um which i always thought was sort of a bit you know, you can't claim to speak for that many people of that many different shapes and sizes. Now they say they speak for 170,000. And I just think it's still a little bit, you know, far-fetched to be able to speak for that many people. And it's become very, everyone's in favour of small business, right? And everyone likes startups and entrepreneurs and that side of things. But I do think that big business is lacking a bit of a a voice and needs somebody to say that big business is a good thing. And I do think that actually there is an argument, to say, we're only going to speak for 100 or 1,000. You know, they employ this many million of people, add this much to the economy. Um, rather than trying to sort of do this kind of catch-all element of it, which I just think is, is quite difficult to do. And particularly as these groups get smaller and get more kind of niche interests, that actually their niche should become big business. I think that would be a, a better space for them to kind of, play in. And it will be really important under a Labour government for big business to have a proper voice at the table.
0: Yeah, uh, the the difficulty that groups like the CBI have, I mean, we experienced it a little bit during our time at the IOD, where you might want to take an institutional position, which is supported by some members and is less enthusiastically supported by other members. But on the whole, you sort of know the territory you're in. And the CBI, by its nature, will struggle more with that. Um, Tension, because, for example, they will have major uh, high street retailers um, uh, on their membership uh, and they will also have major digital retailers like Amazon on their membership. And I know the sort of tension that exists between um, those kind of members when it comes to the CBI taking a view uh, on things like... you know, digital transaction taxes yeah. or business rates uh, on the high street etc there will there will be a tension between different parts of its membership because its membership is is, is so big and so and so diverse but it has these you know huge companies represented um, and how they interact with a labor government if there is to be one is really really interesting question because we've already seen the CBI has a, a new president uh, yeah. in Rupert Soames Uh, you know, an extremely well-known and and experienced uh, business figure um, from the city. Um, And he, I believe, has recently cautioned Labour about going too far, urging them not to go too far in some of the sort of workers' rights protections that they've been talking about, sort of strengthening employment rights and and workers' rights provisions. Um, And the Labour Party have just said, forget it, jog on. And that's a really stark reminder that um, if there is to be a Labour government, you know, it will be doing things differently as far as the business community is concerned, and particularly the big business community. You know, people who are, perhaps by the nature of the size of their payroll, more sensitive to uh, issues around um, minimum wage or uh, workers' protections and provisions, etc. So uh, that relationship, I mean, not to say that it's off to a rocky start, of course it's not. This is the job of, of the CBI is to speak on on behalf of its members. Um, but it seems uh, in round one in, in, in public... Um, diplomacy with the Labour Party, Mm. Um, they've fallen out over this issue already. And so it will be interesting to see how, not just the CBI, but all business groups interact with um, an incoming Labour government. We talked uh, on the first episode about Ian Anderson's review as to how the business community should interact with a Labour government. Um, And it was quite an interesting report and sort of set, set of recommendations. There was nothing particularly concrete in it. What it basically seemed to say was um, the business community would like to have better and more predictable relationships with government than they have had over the last five years.
1: Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, and Rupert Sames is a very experienced city leader, you know, led Circo for a long time in the UK. And I think, you know, we'll find a way through for it and sort of rebadge the CBI and kind of get it going. Because I do think that business um, needs to do it.
0: And the question of, of, of how the CBI interacts with the Labour uh, government um, is, is actually just part of a bigger question about how, how is the business community going to get on under a Labour government? Yeah. So it's one thing about you know, your relationship with them and, 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 and how good and effective your sort of interaction and lobbying is, if you like. Um, but how do you deal with and respond to Labour policies uh, is, is, a, is a different question. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Excuse me. And that almost nearly brings us on to 28 billion, which we spoke about last week. And again, quite a lot of...
0: Hang on a minute. You're not going to leave the sneeze in, are you? Surely that's going to be slipped it's snipped out. <laughs> I think it will be. Well, no. You know what? This is rough and ready. <laughs> rough. My kids have both got colds. So it's completely inevitable that I'm going to sneeze in the middle of recording these things. Um... <laughs> We're agreed. We're agreed. The sneeze stays the, the in. The sneeze stays. It's authenticity. Clip, clip
1: that. Clip that for socials. Um... <laughs> The but the twenty eight billion is quite interesting. We spoke about that last week, and La- La-
0: Labour's twenty eight billion pound a year uh, investment in the green economy, which, exactly, which, which is which is now uh,
1: twenty four billion pounds over five years. Yes, um, and but they they've sort of divvied and dabbered with it all week, and now it's they've sort of yeah, as you say, like basically completely drops it, right? Extraordinary,
0: and and. I mean, what, I mean, there are all sorts of ways to dissect this story. The, fact, the, the first thing that's worth noting is that it was The Sun uh, reported about three weeks ago that this was going to happen, that Labour was going to abandon this enormous financial um, commitment. Um, and the official response to, to The Sun's story from Labour was complete nonsense. Um, and indeed, plenty of other journalists were then a bit sneery and sniffy at This Sun's story, um, taking Labour at their word when they said the story was nonsense. The story was not nonsense. And when uh, you know, within the last two or three days, uh, the Labour Party has confirmed that they are going to abandon this 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 totemic commitment. Um, it seems you've got a good question. This is this one of those things that goes completely over the heads of the general public? Um, you know, people in general pay a lot less attention to the ins and outs of politics than than people like you and people like me tend to assume and think and occasionally hope. Um, and I suppose the question is, they Labour Party just said, let's just pull this plaster off, let's get it over with, let's stop having to talk about this before the election campaign really kicks off, before people do start paying more attention, um, and before the Tory party can devise all sorts of attacks about how this policy commitment of ours might end up manifesting itself in tax rises or higher borrowing or whatever it might be. They've just said, "Let's, let's, let's get rid of it. Now, what that means for poor old Ed Miliband who's basically his only job in the shadow cabinet was to go around and talk about this 28 billion, how they were going to spend it. Actually, that's an interesting question. I'm sure the Labour Party would rather talk about and In my view, they should have talked more about why they were going to spend this money. What were they going to spend it on? Why was it important to do so? Rather than just this figure, um, which Westminster in particular and and people in financial circles became obsessed with, um, they didn't actually talk a lot about why Labour wants to do this. What's crazy is that Labour now having ditched this pledge... Uh, on the altar of financial credibility. And you've talked about how sort of ruthless they are in in their pursuit of power. They've ditched this, this pledge so that they can't be beaten around the head by it. Um, but they have basically still said everything they wanted to spend it on, they're still going to do. Um, still very important to do it and all these great green policies are still going to happen and they're going to have a carbon neutral electricity grid by 2030, etc. I mean, anyone who knows anything about that has said it's for the birds and it's, that would probably cost about 200 billion. Yeah. Um, so they now they're starting to, I think it's quite clear what they're trying to do is they want to stop talking about 28 billion price tag and they want to start talking about the policies and the rationale uh, for, 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 for what they wanted to spend the money on in the first place, even though... They're no longer going to spend it,
1: but there's there's lots of different types of credibility, and I think it's interesting because they've said that we're you know we're not having it because uh, the financial situation has changed etc. from when we originally announced the policy, but actually the financial situation is better than when the policy was first announced nine <laughs> months ago. There's more fiscal headroom, and yeah, you know, they were getting called out by Paul Johnson of the IFS on this, and you just think, well, actually, you. know, It's all very well sort of being completely ruthless for power. Um, But you have got to have some things. You have got to get your party marshaled and excited about what they're actually doing and what what they're going to do. And at the moment, it comes back to this point that we keep saying of no one really seems to know what Labour's going to do. And it's fine to shrink the target and all of that that we talked about in the first episode. But actually, you have got to go to the country with like, this is how it's going to be different. This is how it's going to be better. It's not just enough to say, you know, we're not these guys. Like, you will have to find something to get people excited about. And at the moment, they just don't have that. And
0: you can't really overstate the extent to which the Labour Party and its various kind of affiliate groups and different wings have torn themselves to pieces internally over this £28 Because for some people, like Rachel Reeves and one assumes now Keir Starmer, it was just a question of financial credibility and they don't want to be beaten with it in the election campaign and they don't want to be accused of, of being reckless with public finances. Um, there are a huge number of other voices in the Labour Party and the wider Labour movement for whom this wasn't just a question of, of financial uh, credibility or even viability. It was a, a major, almost sort of philosophical mm. um commitment and a and a, and a and a project and, a, and, a, and um, a sort of a statement of the state's capabilities and what a Labour-run government would do and believes in. Um, you know, they get all very excited about the amount of money that Joe Biden has pumped into the US economy. And lots of people on the left over here think that the government should be doing something similar. And the 28 billion per year um, that Labour had said they would spend was seen as a part of that and on the same sort of ideological um, spectrum of, of that sort of Public sector investment in the economy, very much in the kind of Gordon Brown school of thought, mm. and so for lots of people this is just a question of let's stop saying 28 billion because you know it might embarrass us. And for lots of other people in the Labour Party, it wasn't just about that; it was about the kind of government we're going to be, the kind of country we want to have. Personally, you know, I, I think people can overstate the um, the wisdom or the benefits of, of state expenditure. Is sort of try and um, pump. The, uh, the the real economy, yeah, if you yeah. like. But but that's a philosophical debate for another day. But in the Labour Party, it's a huge argument that, that, it, that it does not end with um, Rachel Rees saying we're no
1: longer going to commit to £28 billion because we can't afford it. Yeah, exactly so, that. Exactly that. Um, and speaking of businesses' sort of wider representation in the public, as we've touched on a bit there, I also wanted to talk a bit about Dragon's Den. And I thought it was very interesting. We had... Superbooks on the podcast last week, and they were on Dragon's Den as well. And for those of you that haven't seen the episode, Superbooks went on and said to the dragons, We want one percent for one pound. It's the first time anyone's ever done that on Dragon's Den. Um, I am an investor in Superbooks, one of the 29 angels that they mentioned. Weirdly, I didn't get a name check, and they went with Tom Blomfield and uh, Princess Beatrice on the uh, <laughs> on the show. i probably third, I imagine. Um, Fun shareholder <laughs> meeting, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it was just quite interesting because, yeah, there's two big business shows in the UK in terms of popular culture: it's The Apprentice and Dragons Down. And there were a few remarks online, sort of saying, "Well, you know, I uh, is this really a business show anymore if people are just going on there asking for a pound, etc.? And you know, Dragon's Den's never created any unicorns, etc. And I was like, I don't think somebody said, you know, somebody said Dragon's Den hasn't even made half a unicorn. And I was like, I don't actually think they've even made five percent of a unicorn, right? A 50 million valuation. But I just think it's it's really interesting to get people's perception on how business is run. And I still think it's a great show, Dragon's Den. And I actually still, it's always been in that kind of edutainment space. Um, And I think it's great that Superbooks kind of went on there. And it does, it is probably most people's first introduction to business, really. I I know you love Dragon's Den. um,
0: And my wife loves Dragon's Den. Um, I don't really like it. I find it quite annoying um, and quite sort of, you know, Overly curated these days, yeah. um, compared to what it was um, back in the day, if you like. Um, and back in the day, it was—I feel—it was slightly more authentic. I feel um, there, there were genuine cases of, of people coming in and saying, "Listen, I want this much money so that I can build this, and I want to sell it for X." And yeah. you, you had dragons that would sit there and say, "You're out of your mind, get out!" And you had others who would argue about um, you know the stake they wanted, but they but they would put the money in, and. You get a bit of that in in the sort of more recent series, but it's very different. You know, you get a lot more. You know, people's backstories and <laughs> waterworks and the sob stories and you know reality TV. It's a much more kind of reality TV vibe to it, um, and and they love all that. And you know, part of that is because of the you know, the, the dragons themselves have changed. Yeah, and that's by the way. You know, somebody could I'm sure um, you know write an interesting essay on. On, on how, how long has Dragons Den been going on for now? So, it's 50, tra- 20, Twenty years. Year, Twenty years. Right. Yeah. So you could look at the, the the changing nature of the dragons and what does it tell us about the changing nature of the economy? Um, because <laughs> you know, you used to have sort of you know retailers and manufacturers and and, and, and private equity um, dragons, and now you've got how like, social media influencers and ex footballers um, cropping up as dragons. So so it has changed. It's definitely changed. But it you mentioned that Superbooks as a particular example. And I think that's really interesting. They were honest enough to say, we don't actually want your money. We actually just want, you know, your, we want your basically PR support from you, if I read it right. And, and your endorsement and your commitment to our projects and our values, which we mm. feel are really important. Now, that was very honest. And I think, that, you know, <laughs> there are plenty of people who go in Den who are not as honest, who basically want to be on TV and would love it if Stephen Bartlett could, you know, Instagram them uh, yeah. off the back of it. That would do for them. That's the, that's the investment they want. Um, and so uh, to me, it's, I find it slightly twee on occasion and,
1: and slightly annoying. I think, uh, I mean, I think that's all fair. And I think it is a very interesting example of how the kind of economy is changing. I also think it's partly the way that the investor landscape is changing because actually, yeah, there's been 22 seasons of Dragon's Den now. So when the first one's come out, it just at the sort of start of the millennium, you know, the internet was only just really getting going. Like actually, if you wanted business investment and you didn't know anyone, it really was your kind of like perhaps your, your one shot, whereas now you can go and sort of Google lots of people. And actually, the story of how Superbooks got their initial angel investment is a great one. They just sent a cold LinkedIn message to our good pal Henry Dezope who then sort of took them on this kind of journey. And obviously, Henry, former special advisor to Michael Gove, but um, also went on to start a company that got a very high valuation on Dragons then and exited it as well um and so it's yeah just... that was a
0: proper that was a really good example yeah it was a proper pitch with a proper business that needed some proper money which then went on to do very well yeah um and, and henry's done very well deservedly say so. yeah no, i no, like, just like to see more of that <laughs> on track instead <and> <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, and I think that. And what um, about
0: the argument now that you re- you hear about the sort of fakery rouse, and it's you know it's it's not as real as it seems, and you know they've got an army of, of producers who go out and try and find people and convince them to be on the show. Yes, you know I'm sure there's listen. Of course, there's always going to be a degree of that, but the, it feels like the sort of there was one particular episode recently, wasn't there, that, that caused some controversy of, of yes, of, 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 of somebody you know, claiming sort of me- medical benefits to a an earring or something um and everybody all the dragons loved it and they all tried and they all wanted to invest in it um and of course that itself was cut up by the producers and put out as as a news story and social media content and um and it's, and it backfired because then you had you know people who actually know what they're talking about saying, Well, that was deeply irresponsible. Um and and off the back of that, you know, people started to cook up stories about how the show isn't as real as it seems and blah, so, so it feels like, you know, people are starting to, to pull, at the, pull at the threads, the threads of, it. Of, of it a little bit.
1: I, d- I think part of the I don't actually think getting Gary Neville worked that well um, a couple of weeks ago. I just sort of thought this is getting tweeted. And you're right, I'm a massive fan of the show, but it it all sort of became about yeah, it just sort of it became too kind of emotive, I think, and and so on. And I just think I get
0: that from the repair shop. I, yeah, I don't, I don't, and I, which I do love. <laughs> I really love. Um, I don't need it from Dragon's Den.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it will be. It'll be interesting to see where it goes in terms of the longer term, because I can totally see how you could do kind of a spin-off show now on YouTube, for example, or something like that. I think there's quite a lot of kind of creativity though, because they have got in quite a bit of hot water about that one particular company they've had to take down the episode etc um there
0: so- are still some great episodes out there and i think i'm going to get this right when i say that the early earliest um founder uh of, of the original uh, inclination of was it just eat um yeah, yeah. Uh, or what i think it was just eat um went on an early early dragon's den with this idea of a website that sort of hosted loads of different fast food restaurants and, um, you know, thinks it's going to be the future of how people order food. And basically, one by one, every dragon just said, this is rubbish. That's <laughs> never going to work. Why, you know, I know the phone number of the rest of my local Chinese. wine. not? That's what I need to go through your website. This is crazy. And they, and they, they all threw, they threw them out of the den. And... Uh, it- whether, whether the guy in question has anything to do with, with Just Eat as it is now, I don't know. But as an original idea, um, it's, it's quite nice to see when the dragons get it so wrong.
1: Well, there are a few. Of course, there's a Tangle Trees, wasn't there? And there was the wine in a um, wine in a cup to be sold in the supermarket as well, which was completely derided, which, yeah, now is... A- is a, a staple of
0: every train ride.
1: Yeah, exactly. Morning commute.
0: <laughs> what about um, the other business show? You mentioned The Apprentice. Oh, okay. I just... Now,
1: you don't feel as warm to The Apprentice uh, as you do Dragon's Den. No, I don't, because I think it really is the sort of worst example of business and what the worst character chore, sort of leaning across a table, shouting at people that they're fired. I just think it's just a terrible depiction of it and when you uh, fire people do you do you just whisper it yeah exactly just <laughs> say it's over just try and get it, move it on but i just I, I find it quite um it's just so aggressive i find and obviously it's kind of made for tv but i don't even think it's that good a tv really to be honest and i just think it's it shows business in a really poor light i mean i saw Lego movie the other day, and it the bad guy in the Lego movie is called Lord Business. and for somebody yeah. that works between business and politics, this is pretty sad. and who loves Lego. <laughs> he loves Lego. I just found it really it's a great fun. film, though. It's a, it's, a, it's a
0: fabulous film. Um, we will come back to talk about The Apprentice, but you're right, the Lego movie is great, but the villain in it is Mr. Business, who's got you know evil plans. Um, and that is very often the case, and um. Our friend Matthew Elliott, now Lord Elliott, uh, gave a really thoughtful speech uh, a couple of months ago uh, where he launched his new project, The Jobs Mm. Foundation, which um, I would recommend to everybody because apart from anything else, it wants to make a positive case for business um, of all sizes and employment and jobs in particular, a very, very positive case for them. And so he launched by giving a, a really thoughtful speech that took apart precisely the issue you've just raised about how is business represented in films and in popular culture. And why they, is it so often why are they portrayed as the villains, or you know, whose motivations are always to be questioned, um, and and whose contribution to society is 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 you know is not positive. And there are many cases, and in fact, I think you know, huge amount of, of academic research, particularly in the US, has looked at this very question. Um, and Matthew's speech was 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 a really good um, you know counter argument to mm. that. Um, but the apprentice. Is an example that, that does play into that narrative, and because it's because it is just a ridiculous program full of Love Island rejects, um, you know. And the, the 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 original premise I thought was quite good. People want a job, it's a well paid job, and we're going to make you jump through all these ridiculous hoops to get it. Appreciate it. the format's changed now; it's more about who gets investment for their business. It was my biggest bugbear with the Apprentice is the fact that it's not until, I mean, as far as the view in public is concerned, and you get the impression that it's the case for Alan Sugar and others, is it's not until he's whittled all these half-wits down to two or three that he then asks them what their business idea is. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah <laughs> that, exactly. That he's going to invest in. And, you know, some of them have done quite well. Most of them are absolute, you know pile of rubbish um but it, it's so manufactured and it's such nonsense uh, and imagine imagine going for a job interview and you know and and somebody says yeah you're quite a credible candidate um uh what i want you to do though for me is to go away and i'll give you a day and a half and i want you to um devise uh, and film an advert for uh, a new kind of dog food. and you go what what's i got to do with the job i'm applying for and he goes "Well, just do it and you think, okay, I don't,
1: I don't think I want this job. Yeah, yeah, totally. Or we'll go and see how many chicken sandwiches you can sell at Borough Market or whatever. Like, yeah. it just, yeah, it drives me. Um, it drives me slightly crackers. And I just think there must be a better way of doing kind of a, a mainstream sort of business show because I think some of it is is interesting. And actually, the, the, the challenges are a bit better. What really irritates me is just quite how long I spent in the boardroom, sort of like tearing strips off everyone um, about stuff. And actually, some of the challenges are sort of like. Moderately interesting and quite a, a, an innovative way of pulling um, business together, I think, and like what goes into branding, etc., etc. But um, yeah, I just feel I feel it's a show that could really do with being updated. I'll tell you a good. I'll tell
0: you a good a good show um, that shines a really interesting light on business. It does I don't think it means to. I'm not sure anyone mm. thinks about it in this way, but if you watch Inside the Factory, yes, with Greg Wallace. Yes, um, you know, that is not presented as a, as making the case for business, but whether it intends to or not, it makes the case for incredibly efficient manufacturing, supply chains, innovation, keeping your costs down, uh, you know your logistics, your distribution, whatever particular episode it is. Um, whether the, the factory in question is making jeans or uh, yeah. M&Ms, uh, it's an extraordinary showcase of, of, very often, the most efficient kind of pinnacle of, um, of manufacturing, which is a huge part of our economy. Um, so I, I think, uh, inadvertently, shows like that can be really interesting um, and I don't think it would ever occur to Greg Wallace or any of the producers to to talk about yeah. the sort of you know hidden hand uh, and the sort of you know great economic forces that have en- enabled these factories to do what they do. But but because I'm a bit
1: weird, that's what I think when I watch it. Yeah, yeah that's a, That's exactly where my mind goes with this stuff as well. <laughs> There's quite a good show on Channel Five recently as well, a three-part series into Greg's, and I just found it fascinating about how that has become. Yeah, how they have basically scaled the business. You know, yeah, I, mean, I was yeah. sitting there thinking, "Gosh, it's really interesting to scale up." And store. actually, you're
0: <laughs> right. So it's always around Christmas time. Uh, or, you know, there'll be a, a, an ITV show like Inside Tesco's or Inside yeah. Little or something, and it shows you again these are incredibly well run businesses. Yeah. I mean, phenomenally well run businesses. And I, I did quite a lot of work um, for or, or with Tesco's leadership for a couple of years in in, in my most recent job, and um, and I got to know them very well. The margins are tight, right? Oh, it's extraordinary. But the thing that stood out for me was that, uh, I'll never forget the the chief executive, Ken Murphy of Tesco, explaining that um, the busiest day of any retailer, uh, any retailer's year is always 23rd of December. uh, And they know that, um, food retailers I'm talking about. And they know that, obviously, and they start planning for it in August. Um, And in the earliest days of the pandemic, Tesco, not just Tesco, pretty much every uh, food retailer in the country. Tesco had about seven consecutive twenty third of December's, oh. um, for which they were not prepared, uh, and they didn't run out of anything. And the logistics uh, around the sort of food delivery infrastructure in this country is absolutely mind blowing. Um, that is a topic for another day. We should yeah. we should look into that. We should actually do an episode around t- looking, you know, pick a particular business and really examine it and start to look at under the bonnet you know i mean how many people know that tesco basically has its own railway lines and its own trains that is responsible for an enormous amount of the delivery wow. uh, of food around this country Um, but you don't see them because they don't pull up at passenger stations. Okay, I can talk a lot about Tesco. We'll do do it
1: another day. We can, but that makes me think of, uh, yeah, getting someone from head of logistics on Jimmy's Jobs or something. Um, I mean, we had the founders of the club card, um, Edwina and Clive, come on Jimmy's Jobs last year, and it was fascinating listening to how they basically implemented data, and that's what made Tesco get so far ahead of the curve so quickly in that sort of dramatic scaling phase of the 90s and noughties. Amazing episode. Well, that probably... um, Calls to an end uh, this week. Interesting couple of things coming up. We've uh, we've got a live show of Jimmy's Jobs with Harry Cole and James Hill. Uh, tickets have sold out, so I'm not giving it any promo on that sense. Uh, and PM's Business Council is meeting on Valentine's Day. So what, wow, what headline would you have written for that? <laughs> well, I mean, I look forward to head, headline writers always like
0: things happening around Valentine's Day or Halloween. <laughs> and uh, you know, is there going to be an election around Halloween? Um, that writes itself um, and as to valentine's day what you'd like is for the business leaders in question to emerge from the meeting and brief the media that it was a complete waste of everyone's time and then you can write about the valentine's day massacre and all that <laughs> sort of, you know um etc say so, okay we'll, we'll we'll try and get some uh, eyes and ears inside that meeting too. Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah, challenge that's... we set ourselves exactly and, and when we fail we'll just read mark <laughs> Yeah, exactly
1: mark will <laughs> be in there. Mark <sighs> That was my, one of my tests in number 10 was like is this going to get to climate how quickly if we were working through something yeah. Uh, but yeah a heck of a journalist thanks for listening see you next week we'll see you in the do, future do you want to say it normally <laughs>